Marriage is a covenant relationship, and uh, we need to uh, safeguard it. It's worth fighting for. And now there is a bad jealousy. Uh, a lot of people have very ungodly jealousy, and their jealousy leads them to do very ungodly things. Uh, and so that's not good. But there is a, a, a jealousy that's good. And that is a, a zeal to preserve the integrity of a covenant relationship. That's a good uh, type of jealousy, as long as we don't let it you know, take us anywhere uh, to do unrighteous things. Now, the Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, he writes this. And he's talking to the church. He's talking to Christians. He said, I betrothed you. I played matchmaker. I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his coming, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. If you are a Christian, you have entered into a covenant relationship with God that's sacred and important. And God will truck no rival. God doesn't want to be one of our many gods. God wants to be our one and only. And he expects a pure and sincere devotion to himself. Now, all summer we've been studying the book of 1 Corinthians, which was a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to a church he planted in Corinth, Greece. He was living in Ephesus when he wrote the letter, but he had been visited by some folks from Corinth who told him about, hey, here's a situation in the church, some of which was troubling, and they brought him some theological questions to answer, and so he writes uh, the letter of 1 Corinthians. And in, our, uh, in the portion we're looking at today, uh, Paul encourages or warns the Corinthians not to provoke God to jealousy. Verse 22, this is the uh, last verse in our text today. Uh, he says this. Somewhere. He says, yes. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Now think about that. Uh, one thing that just jumps out at me is God cares enough about the relationship that what we do matters. Is that stunning? That is not the watchmaker God of the deists, that God sort of put the, the world in motion and then he uh, is distant and sort of uh, uncaring. He's, he's aloof, he's remote. No, no, no. The God of the Bible the one true God is a personal God who enters into a passionate relationship with people. And he cares about that to the point that what we do can provoke him to jealousy. And it's a divine jealousy, Paul calls it in 2 Timothy. It is a holy reaction to a threat to the integrity of the relationship. If you're not a Christian... Uh, you're going to be listening, uh, essentially you're listening in to, uh, to some marriage counseling today. But I want you to be thinking about the opportunity you have to enter into this relationship with your creator. 
He's done everything that is necessary for you to have a relationship with him. He left heaven in the person of Jesus Christ. He came to earth and he went to the cross where he substituted himself in payment for our sin. Yes, you have sinned. Yes, you've rebelled against God. Uh, Yes, you have uh, done things to offend him, but... God's taken care of that in Christ. If you will repent of your sins and put your faith in his son, Jesus, you can have a relationship with God, a sacred covenantal relationship that lasts a lifetime, which is awesome. But when we enter into this covenant, uh, God expects fidelity. He cares. And he will act to preserve the integrity of the relationship. And that's what Paul is really talking about in our text today. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, If you've missed any of the summer sermons, you can find them online at clearwater.church. You can download the Clearwater Church app, take us with you on the go. There have been some great sermons. I have some fill-in-the-blanks in the back of the bulletin if that keeps you focused. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. That was interesting. He's talking, uh, he's writing to predominantly a Greek uh, church, Gentile church. They're not ethnic Jews, and yet he says, uh, talks about the, the Jews in the wilderness period as our fathers. Well, they are our spiritual fathers, because if you're a Christian, you've been grafted in. Jesus is the Messiah of the Jews. Christianity is the uh, continuation of what God began with Moses, right? So, in a sense, we're spiritual Jews. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. He's talking there about uh, God led the Israelites in the wilderness, cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. All passed through the sea, that's the parting of the Red Sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, manna from heaven during the wilderness. All drank the same spiritual drink. Clarification, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. That's fascinating. Uh, twice, if you in the account of the uh, period in the wilderness, they had no water, and God miraculously brought forth water out of a rock. And Paul says that was Christ, pre-incarnate Christ, um, sustaining his people in the wilderness. Nevertheless, all right, I want to sit on this. Nevertheless. Nevertheless, what? Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. Demonstration of that, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So here's what he's saying. Listen, Corinthians. Uh, Think about your spiritual forefathers, the Jews in the wilderness. God was spiritually present with them and was acting in power. And yet with most of them, he was not pleased. Corinthians, and and he uses very Christian language, baptism, they were baptized in the Moses, they ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink, communion. He's saying, Corinthians, just because God is at work in your midst, 
and some of you are speaking in tongues and God's performing miracles and he's giving prophecy, just because God is clearly at work in your midst doesn't mean that he, it's, a, it's a big giant stamp of approval on everything you're doing. You can have God working uh, in your midst powerfully, being present with you as a community, and yet individually, in some areas of your life, be displeasing the Lord, provoking him to jealousy, and bringing down his discipline upon your head. We don't want that, right? And some people make this mistake, where they think, well, because God's, you know, at work, then he must be pleased with everything. Now, and that's not necessarily true. I do appreciate the grace of the Lord where he does continue to work in us and through us despite our failings, but he will act to correct the things in our lives that are not um, right. Verse 6, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So Paul's saying, okay, Christians... What happened to the Israelites in the wilderness is an example. You can learn from it. What are we supposed to learn? We're supposed to learn where their behavior took them. What was the consequence of their sin in the wilderness? Well, it didn't lead them good places, which is why if we will learn from their example, the result will be we won't desire evil as they did. Well, it still might be uh, tempting and look attractive, but we, we can see where it leads by reading about what happened to them and say, okay, that doesn't take me good places. I don't think I should desire that and go down that road. Now Paul lists four particular sins the Israelites committed in the wilderness that provoked God to jealousy and brought down his discipline. And so we're going to we're going to zero in and spend some time on these four particular sins because Paul underlines them for our benefit. The first is in verse 7. Number one, do not be idolaters. Idolatry, the first sin the Christian needs to avoid. Don't be idolaters as some of them were. As it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Idolatry is worshiping someone or something other than the one true God. The story that Paul has in mind is found in Exodus 32. And this is the story of the golden calf. The Israelites are camped at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses is on top of Mount Sinai meeting with God. God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments and the other laws for Israel to govern uh, their worship of him and their relationship as, uh, as the people of God. Down in the, at the base are the people waiting. Moses is up there for a total of 40 days and 40 nights. And somewhere along the line, the people get tired of waiting. And so they come to Aaron, Moses' brother, and they say, Up! Make us gods who will go before us. We're taking matters into our own hands. And so uh, Aaron says, Well, bring me your gold and golden earrings. And then he melts it and fashions a golden calf, and the people worship it. We read in Exodus 32, verse 4. And Aaron received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Well, God's the one who brought him up out of the land of Egypt. 
but they're attributing to this golden calf what God has done. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Now notice that. He's not saying tomorrow shall be a feast to Baal or Ashtoreth. He's saying he uses the tetragrammaton, the, uh, the name for God himself. We often pronounce it either Jehovah or Yahweh. Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. But here's the problem. They weren't worshiping the true God. They were worshiping the God made in their image. The way they wanted God to be. That's idolatry. Idolatry is ultimately saying, God, I love someone else. I I don't love the real you as you have revealed yourself through the scriptures and ultimately in your son, Jesus Christ. I want you to be a little different. And so I've created a little bit different God and that's the one I follow and serve and worship and applaud. And that is idolatry. And uh, it doesn't matter if you are a sincere Hindu. You're worshiping a false god, and that's offensive. It doesn't matter if you are a sincere Buddhist or a sincere Muslim. It doesn't matter if you're a sincere Mormon or a sincere Jehovah's Witness. That's idolatry. You're not worshiping the true God. He has taken the time to reveal himself in his word and in Jesus Christ. And today, God says, if you want to worship me, it's through faith in my son Jesus, period. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And that is not uh, a pleasant or applauded truth in modern society, right? And so people are like, well, but I want, to, I want spirituality on my terms. I want... And so they approach God sort of a la carte. Ooh, I like that part of God's character, but I don't like that part. I like that teaching of Christianity, but not that teaching. And I'll just kind of a la carte put together the God that I like. And God says that's idolatry. There is um, a popular idea that the God of the Old Testament is somehow different from the God of the New Testament. As if sometime around the the time of Jesus, the God of the Old Testament got off the throne and where, he went somewhere and then there's this new God, the God of the New Testament sat down on the throne as if they're different. And God said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's the same God. There's one God. If you read the Old Testament and you think, oh, well, think a little more deeply and ask the Spirit of God to teach you. The only thing that has changed is the fact that Jesus has died to pay the penalty for our sin and now God can relate to us in grace because of that. God hasn't changed. He still hates sin. He still gets jealous of our infidelity and he still acts to uh, realign our hearts toward him. Which is why Paul can say what happened to the Israelites in the wilderness can be an example to you. Learn from them. Because God is still the same God. And our, our um, adultery still provokes the Lord to jealousy. Do not be idolaters. 
Second sin, we, that provokes God to jealousy, verse 8. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. According to the Bible, sexual immorality is sex outside the context of marriage between a man and a woman. That's pretty simple. It is moral, it is, it is applauded in the eyes of God if it is between uh, a man and a woman in the context of marriage. Otherwise, it's immorality. And so the story that uh, Paul has in mind here is the story of, it comes from Numbers 25. The Israelite men were whoring with the women of Moab. Numbers 25, verse 1. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. So idolatry is involved, but that's not what Paul highlights. What Paul highlights is the sexual immorality. So sexual immorality is saying to God, you, you don't know how to satisfy me. See, Christ says, follow me and you will have life to the full. God gives us his uh, rules, if you want to call them that, his commandments for our good. And he says, I as your creator know best how to satisfy you. Do life the way I'm telling you to do it and you will have your best life. When a Christian knows God's sexual ethic and chooses not to do it, what you're really saying is, God, you really don't know how to satisfy me. If I did life your way, I wouldn't be happiest. I wouldn't have the best possible life, right? Is, that is offensive to God. That hard attitude provokes him to jealousy. There's a lot of sexual immorality amongst the people of God who go to church, who are Christians. Their position, look, we're not talking about your positional relationship. That's secure. You're the bride of Christ. He loves you. We're talking about your experiential relationship with God. And some Christians are having a much better experiential relationship than others because they're not provoking the Lord to jealousy. Just like Many human marriages are happier than others because of the conduct of, uh, of the people in the marriage. Sexual immorality. Avoid it. Third, sin that provokes God to jealousy. Verse 9. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. What does it mean to put Christ to the test? And when did the Jews in the wilderness do that? Well, he's referring to uh, a story from Numbers chapter 21. We read, verse 4, From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. It was not a direct enough route to the promised land. 
they're getting impatient. Why is it taking so long for us to get to the good place? Now, they had just been set free from Egypt, where they were slaves and had been slaves for 400 years, and God powerfully and miraculously set them free. And they're on their way to the promised land. But right now they're in the midst of the wilderness, and the wilderness is not really fun. And the people are not enjoying the wilderness. And actually, they're starting to think maybe, maybe getting set free from Egypt wasn't such a good thing. Now, biblically, Egypt represents the life apart from Christ, a life when you are under the power and the presence of sin. And then Jesus Christ sets us free, and we're on our way to heaven. But the fact is, this life can often be quite difficult. And Christians are not miraculously protected uh, from all of the brokenness in the world. We still live in a broken world just like, just like non-Christians. And in fact, sometimes life is more difficult because you're a Christian, because you're experiencing persecution, or you're saying no to those temptations that used to bring you a lot of pleasure. So here's what the people are saying. Verse 5. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Wow. They're speaking against God. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Wow. The people of God are in the wilderness, and they're saying, Why did you set me free? This Christian life, I'm not sure it's worth it. And the, the food, your provision, because remember, manna was God's divine provision. The way you're providing for me, it's loathsome. It's worthless. God, I do not like the way you are running my life. I am unhappy with you. I don't know why I'm a Christian. What's the point of being a Christian if you're going to let this happen to me? Ever been there? Why is that called putting Christ to the test? I think it's because you're testing his patience. You're pushing his buttons. You're saying things against him, and he's like, really? You don't think, being, you don't think my death upon the cross and what I've got prepared for you is worth the temporary pain? That provokes the Lord to jealousy. So we don't want to do that. Verse 10. The fourth uh, and final sin Paul underlines that provokes God to jealousy. Verse 10. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now this is a particular kind of grumbling. So here's the situation. We find it in number 16. There's been a rebellion against Moses and Aaron's leadership. Korah and his boys uh, come to Moses and Aaron. And they're like, who really thinks you're the best? It's taking us a while to get to the uh, promised land. Frankly, if we were led differently, things would be better off. And so they stage a coup. Uh, Korah and his, and all, uh, at a minimum, 250 men. And Moses says, let's let the Lord declare who he thinks should be leader of his people. And so God opened up the earth and swallowed Korah and his 250. And uh, 
made it clear. It was Moses and Aaron. And here comes the grumbling. This is so, this is so interesting. Numbers uh, 21, 5. Nope. Numbers 16, 41. But on the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron, saying, you've killed the people of the Lord. Now, was it Moses and Aaron who opened up the ground? Who are they really grumbling against? And they're grumbling against God's judgment. They're grumbling against God's justice. And they're saying, that's too harsh. They didn't, all they did was rebel against your leadership. They didn't deserve to be swallowed up by the earth. Now, how many Christians do you know who grumble against the doctrine of hell? That's just too harsh. Uh, a, a lot, all they did was say no to Jesus. They were still good people. And yet, the Bible teaches that if you say no to Jesus in this lifetime, you spend the rest of eternity apart from God, and the picture we're given to describe that is a lake of fire. And so when we grumble against God's discipline, we grumble against God's just, uh, judgment, we're, we're saying, I'm a better judge of what is right uh, and what is just than you are. That provokes the Lord to jealousy. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Now, I was reading it, but... And, Maybe you missed it. There was a, a significant discipline for all of these sins. The golden calf, uh, there was a plague that broke out uh, amongst the people. Doesn't tell us how many people died. Then with the uh, whoring with the Moabitist women, 23,000. Another plague broke out, 23,000 died. Uh, when they said, why did you bring us out of, will, uh, out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? God sent snakes amongst the people, and many died. And then the, the one where they're grumbling, there was another 14,700 who died. And that's the discipline of the Lord. Listen, God loves you. If you're a Christian, you are his. He's committed to the relationship. But he will act in order to realign our hearts with him. His jealousy will, uh, causes him to act to preserve the integrity of the relationship. And, and God's discipline can be quite painful. And it doesn't have to be. That's what Paul's saying. <laughs> you know, what is wisdom? Wisdom is not, I'll make the mistake myself before I learn. Wisdom is, I'm going to look at other people's lives and learn from their mistakes so that I don't have to do it myself. That's why there's the whole book of Proverbs, right? My son, listen to me. Learn from me. I don't want you to go down the same road 
and then have to feel the sting of sin. If you just listen and learn, you can be protected from so much. And that's what Paul's saying. I don't want you to experience the discipline of God in your life. I don't want you to provoke God to jealousy and then have him act uh, in order to uh, recapture your heart. You can have a much better, satisfying relationship with God. Be sincere and pure in your devotion to Christ. Maintain that for a lifetime. And then you get to experience the, the sweetness of the relationship, the pleasure of God. So again, we're not talking about your position. Your positional relationship is secure because Christ has died to pay, pay the penalty for your sin. But your experience with God can be uh, a lot better. All right, let's pray. So, in the privacy of your own heart, we have looked at the Word of God. The Spirit of God is, um, doesn't let His Word go out void. So, He has most likely been speaking to you. What's He been saying? Is there uh, one of these sins in your life that uh, you're... Spirit is saying, you know what, you're provoking the Lord to jealousy in this area. And you're experiencing or will experience his discipline. What do you do? Well, praise God, we just, uh, we acknowledge that, we confess it, we repent. And we just say, God, I, I see that. Thank you for revealing that to me. Uh, I'm sorry and I repent and I'll change. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's not interested in beating us up. He's, interesting in, he's interested in realigning our hearts toward him. And that can happen instantaneously right here this morning. Why wouldn't it? So confess that. Receive his forgiveness. Receive his cleansing. And re-enjoy the joy of the relationship that you have with God through faith in Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. amen.